0: I don't know why sam hates star wars so much
1: i don't Mm -hmm. i don't hate them they're just not my thing all like the entire fantasy genre is really not my thing
2: i appreciate your commitment to living in the gritty real world sam Welcome to Ontario Loud, the podcast about politics, public policy, and current affairs hosted by recovering political and policy staff right here in Ontario. I'm Chris Martin.
1: I'm Sam Andrew. I'm Alexi
0: White. And I'm Alvin Tejo.
2: And today we are talking about a lot of stuff, from Doug Ford's threatening greedy landlords to the start of reopening Ontario, the announcement that school truly is out for summer, and finally a check-in on our climate change commitments and how COVID may actually impact these going forward. Uh, But first... New week of this weird time. How's everyone doing?
1: It's sunny. I just went for
2: a run and now I have wine, so things have been worse. I will say it's been a particularly uh, spreadsheety day in my world, and I have not I've gone outside for more than
0: five minutes and I want to die, but I'm about to do that <laughs> immediately after we stop recording. I've definitely taken on way too many outdoor projects. I uh, repaved part of my walkway and i dug out in a giant hole in my backyard for a new garden shed and uh yeah this has taken over my life now But that's (laughs) why you have
1: children to make them do those things no
0: yeah if you watched my instagram they helped me uh they helped me dig
1: those hard at
2: work yeah gotta gotta keep those uh i'm sure they're as effective and efficient as like real contractors would be
0: yeah, and, and they're free. They're free manual labor. It's great. We
2: we should be teaching that in uh all the schools. But actually that relates to one of our topics today. So let's dive in. I'm gonna start today with talking about evictions in Ontario. We're coming up on the end of another month, and so it's a timely topic. One of the many relief programs that have been rolled out to help mitigate the economic damage from COVID-19's shutdown is the Emergency Commercial Rent Assistance Program. This program provides commercial property owners, so if you have a store or a business of some kind, with assistance to cover 50% of rent payments from eligible tenants for April, May, and June, provided that the owner also forgives some of the rent and at least 25%, and the last 25% has to come from the tenant. Um, Eligible tenants are small businesses or not-for-profit to pay less than $50,000 per month in rent and who have temporarily ceased operations or have experienced at least a 70% drop in pre-COVID revenue. So they're trying to work some element of like, your business has actually been hit in this. Ontario is paying about a quarter of the estimated $900 million cost um, in partnership with the federal government. And while the program's application doesn't open until next week, many small businesses are claiming their landlords have told them they aren't planning to apply. And unlike residential evictions, where the province has halted enforcement, No action has been taken regarding commercial evictions. So on Tuesday, in response to this whole, Premier Ford issued a warning to property owners stating, quote unquote, don't force my hand, work things out because I'm trying to compromise here. We're giving you 75% of what you're asking for. Nothing drives me more crazy than greedy landlords taking advantage of people and small business owners that are just trying to keep their head above water. Friends, what do we make of that? Should the province be doing more? And what do you think of the Premier's tone here?
3: so i'll start i yes i do think they obviously should be doing more i I think sure doug ford you know he wants to he's saying that he wants to see what happens uh when the program actually opens and and he's hopeful still that the landlords are going to do the right thing and sign up for this in droves before he takes any further steps and that's fine but the the rhetoric still feels pretty empty when he doesn't have anything specific to back up his suggestion uh, he's just generally angry uh, and every time he's pressed on the point he just says well let's wait and see so it's it's hard to tell how much of this is is just rhetoric and how much is actually something he's willing to follow through on i don't think it's easy for the government the ontario government to do much more on this particular program to get people like to boost incentives or anything like that this was a very complex federal provincial negotiation that resulted in this program and its cost shared which is a good thing and it's a it's a, an example of how we should be i think rolling out more of these programs but it was a lot of work to, to create this program, it came pretty late in the the COVID um, world and uh, and it would be very difficult to go back now and try to like tweak it, to try to create centers for people to sign up or things like that. But there are easily things that the province could do on its own to step in and help small businesses. And that's been the case from the beginning. I mean, if we go back to the Ontario government's response compared to many other provinces, they uh, trumpeted that they were, you know, investing $17 billion in this big response plan. But but 10 billion of that was really just deferred payments of things like taxes and stuff like that. Uh, and then a whole bunch of the rest was investments in health. Healthcare system, which we need to make because obviously there's a healthcare emergency right now. And then most of the rest of that was uh, energy relief because keeping energy bills down seems to be the the number one thing this government wants to spend money on these days. So um, they really haven't put their money where their mouth is. And, and it doesn't feel like he's ready to do that on this rhetorical point either, which is which is too bad.
1: I, I find that like I do think the design of the program is kind of interesting. Like I remember when I first read about it and then the more I hear about it, like the the notion that 25 percent has to come from the landlords who presumably for lots of different reasons are also feeling financial pressure during covid like i don't know that i've actually heard a rationale from either the federal or provincial government for that design which is obviously probably a key reason why um take up hasn't been as high which landlords think that they can get that other 25 percent probably um if they hold out if i'm making sense and so yeah i would just be curious i guess in in program design why they why they went that route uh, but i think to alexi's point the ship has kind of sailed it's taken forever to get this not forever but like in covid world this has taken a long time to even roll out the application's not even open yet so maybe take up will be better than expected but i think to alexi's point the Government, the provincial government is going to have to quickly pivot to um, evictions, providing direct assistance to small businesses, you know, through tax relief or what or other uh, measures, or else most mom and pop and you know restaurants and all those things, I think are are going to close down.
2: I know. Do you guys think that it's sort of like the just inherent amount of added complexity in a commercial um, situation is just like to like more risk than policymakers could imagine putting like on the table. I cause I you know like we're we're talking about businesses that could be making money and so and have access to potentially better accounting than your sort of average household would like I, it's such a scoped program. And one of the lessons for me of, and the federal government seems to have learned throughout COVID 19 is that, you know, right now, less targeting is better if you want the aid to actually mitigate the economic damage.
1: I, so I guess on the evictions in particular, my gut, I don't know this, but my gut is they had an existing enforcement model um, in the Residential Tenancies Act that they could just pause enforcement of the evictions on there isn't a similar model on the commercial side like there is no provincial policing of commercial evictions and so they would have to go past legislation to change and basically create a whole construct around the provincial role in commercial evictions so like i can understand why they would be slow to move there um but i just i just think they're gonna have to i just don't see this playing out any other way
2: that's a really key bit of context, Sam, um, the, like the the difference there, um, because, yeah, I think your mind immediately goes to, well, why don't you just pause the moratoriums until we get everyone into this system? Or when they start up again, for instance, ask, you know, the first thing that happens when you go to commercial eviction court is, hey, did you avail yourself of this program?
3: Yeah, moratoriums moratoriums are are great but even even if the government could quickly put one of those into place it's not necessarily a long-term solution i mean the, the, the best way to do this is to actually give people some kind of um, support so they can afford to pay their rents and certainly some provinces have done that on the, the residential side ontario has resisted doing that on the commercial side as well but if your business is is struggling it's it's not clear that in you know two or three months when they uh when they this program runs out that suddenly these these businesses would be able to to pay rent that they hadn't previously if they're was some kind of moratorium on kicking them out of their bases, and then the other the other issue. Just to go back to Sam's point about how this compares to uh, some of the other other programs. The it's interesting that the banks uh, were enlisted to support mortgage extensions for people right at the beginning of this this whole COVID situation, and the banks are benefiting substantially from having very 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 low interest rates right now. It's down to like 025 percent the Bank of Canada lending rate, and they're. Allowing people to defer mortgages, uh, and there's all this basically good press about how these banks are, you know, stepping up to the plate and helping people by letting them defer their mortgages. But they're not passing any of the savings that they're getting on to, to mortgage uh, recipients, and people are still going to pay interest in fact, huge amounts of interest on those deferred payments, which they'll end up having to pay back many, many years down the road. And in the meantime, the banks have basically given them additional liquidity and are charging some much higher percentage interest rate based on whatever it was when those people locked in their mortgages even though the banks were getting that money basically for free. Uh, so it's it's a huge transfer of wealth in that sort of situation. And it's interesting that in this situation the governments worked together to try to figure out another way and try to make sure that the people who own the property, the rent the 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 landlords in this case had some kind of skin in the game. And it's interesting did they is that just because they had a little more time in this case so they decided to make that change? I guess it's just an interesting sort of inequality in the way some of these different programs have been rolled out who's benefiting and who's not
2: the only other point i wanted to make on this one is uh one that uh grimo will kill us if we don't sort of say is uh just reemphasize the moratoriums aren't enough and especially on the personal side like it was like very helpful to hear that right at the end of the month and the first thing that there was going to be no evictions moving through but you know That actually doesn't change the fact that several months of rent arrears are accumulating for those who don't have income right now. There's a lot of heat on landlords right now. But to your point, Alexi, I am more frustrated with the banks and the government for creating a system with such where such minimal risk sits on the banks like you know we have a bunch of people who aren't getting paid who need to pay rent i can understand that you know maybe some landlords rely on rental income to help fund parts of their life maybe even really important parts of their life maybe they couldn't like that a real impact on a landlord i mean but the banks at the end of this, are you're allowed to defer your mortgage, but they're guaranteed just as much money as they would have gotten anyways and interest on it. So it really seems like the banks are getting away with a great deal here. Um, and the maximum risk is sitting on renters themselves because there's no clarity right now on when this ends and that moratorium lifts, how the system is going to deal with the, I would guess, thousands and thousands of people who have many years of arrears and rent through no fault of their own.
1: Yeah. And maybe just my last word on this is the whole construct is kind of built around a recovery that's pretty rapid into June and July um, that I think we're all kind of seeing with the numbers is just not going to happen. There's going to be second waves and third waves and the need to kind of continue to have this jagged recovery that is going to require that a lot of these programs and the whole idea around moratoriums gets reconsidered. And hopefully the government is already starting to think through that as we move into summer.
2: So moving on. Three weeks ago, at the end of April, Ontario announced a three-phase reopening strategy. Uh, Just to replay those phases for you, the first phase was we all shelter in place and don't do anything. Second phase was some businesses open. Third phase is more businesses open. The first phase was actually called Protect and Support, and that's what we've been in for most of March and May, and it's focused on non-essential workplaces and social gatherings. The province indicated we wouldn't move to phase two, which they're calling Restart, until a number of conditions are met including a consistent two to four week decrease in the number of new cases uh, daily and approximately 90 percent of new COVID contacts reaching public health officials within one day. Um, So this past weekend, we began stage one of this second restart phase. And we opened up construction, retail stores with outdoor entrances, so no malls. But if you're a store with a door facing outside, you can reopen recreational facilities, animal services, home maintenance, housekeepers, babysitters, in-person counseling, and medical imaging. And while new cases of COVID have been declining consistently from mid-April to May 12th, it's been starting to climb back in the last week. At the same time, CBC reported this morning that Ontario missed its COVID-19 testing target for the fourth straight day. Uh, this is one of these uh, leads that is just super depressing to read. Uh, it has not yet set a timeline for stage two other than they would reassess in two to four weeks, which would open more workplaces, just service industries, office and larger public gatherings. So, friend, this is something that we are all just living through. Um, What do you think about how the province is handling the reopening sort of now that we're maybe on the cusp of some progress, but maybe not?
1: Maybe I'll start. So it's interesting. I think everyone gave this government a ton of credit at the start for, you know, hitting the right notes. And I think it's starting to fray. I think people are starting to not understand the decisions that are being made and a lack of clarity. Even even the phasing that they've laid out, like who thought to call it phase one, phase two and phase three, and then have a stage one, stage two and stage three within phase two. Like nobody can fucking follow that, like letter them or something different. But uh, I just think you can't see your parents or your grandparents because it's more than people of five, but you can have a housekeeper go house to house or you can have, uh, you know, a home maintenance, go house to house, people are like, what the fuck is this? Like, I just think that um, yeah. I'm hearing more and more frustration. Um, uh, and so that I think is my uh, biggest takeaway with how this is going um, f- from both a practical perspective, but also a political perspective. That's just my perception. Um, But um, I think from a public health perspective, I think you can see, you know, the cases are still climbing. The second stage of phase two will probably uh, be a ways off and we might be in this phase for a while. Having said all that, though, I think people are getting restless despite maybe frustration with the lack of clarity. At the end of the day, until we have a vaccine. There's going to have to be this kind of balancing of risk with the capacity of the healthcare system with the need for people to go and do things that humans want to do. And so I think probably this is about the right balance. I just think it's being communicated not that effectively with and maybe some decisions that have been. Um, questionable, like the house cleaners, for example.
3: Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, Sam, it's sort of, I'm of two minds of it. On the one hand, it does feel rushed, and it feels like, the as you said, the government is making decisions in a way that does not sort of um, make sense just from a, a sort of a common sense perspective on what you would think you might start with and uh, what you wouldn't start with. Um, and so I think you're right. That has people sort of scratching their heads, but at the same time there is, I think a lot of pent up energy around the idea of getting going and the government has, has really started to sort of dangle that uh, carrot in front of people. And, and I think a lot of people are just willing to sort of start trying something different. And I think there, there's probably a lot of willingness to, if it doesn't work to, to go back again, but um the, the not knowing if we could reopen and whether that would have a big impact on the number of cases, I think, is uh, something that is difficult for people and, and makes them want to at least give something else a try. And so I think the government is politically probably in the right place in at least trying to dip their toe in that water, saying, look, we're trying to reopen. We want to do this in a safe way. Let's get some data. Let's see if this has any impact. Politically, while it, while it is, you know, it could be handled better, I think they're still on the right side of where generally people in on Ontario probably want to go.
0: I mean, one of the issues I think is that people are definitely fatigued about where we are on all this and trying to keep track of the different things that they're supposed to or not supposed to do anymore. And you know, it's, it's a huge contrast from at the beginning of the pandemic when it seemed like everybody was saying the same thing. The federal government was saying one thing, the provincial government, the municipal governments were all saying, stay home don't go to work, don't see anybody, don't go out, don't do anything unless you absolutely have to. And then over time, we've now sort of had this kind of clusterfuck of different information coming around saying, oh, but if you need to check your pipes at the cottage, you can go do that. Or if you have two people from different households, you can do that. And different provinces have different things. And it's really confusing. I know the um, Quebec Premier just said you can have up to 10 people from three different households so I don't know. Are people checking ID.
3: I just want to say one other thing on this topic, um, which we can cut if we run out of time. The the other piece that I'm sort of sh- surprised that we haven't heard more about from Ontario is the resumption of all these canceled surgeries. Uh, and I think this is a an issue that is going to become more and more important over time because you can you know relatively easily stop these surgeries, but the backlogs that are being created are not going to be easy to to clear. And so far, all we've seen from the government, they they released last week a a sort of a a resuming surgery strategy, didn't say anything really about how they're going to get rid of this backlog. We already had long wait times for these surgeries. You can't easily uh, increase OR capacity. There's no no, uh, clear plan for doing that, how long it's going to take. All they've really said is here are the kinds of steps that hospitals need to take in order to start doing surgeries again, which is great. And that's the first step. But uh, to be this far into this and to not have uh, the Ministry of Health have put out some kind of more detailed idea of when we're going to be able to work through this and how we're going to be able to work through this and what it's going to cost and what it's going to take. Uh, these kinds of things, like the impacts on our healthcare system are going to have ripple effects for quite some time. And I'm just sort of surprised this issue hasn't received more attention in Ontario and and it, it is going to come back for sure. There's just nothing you can do about that. These surgeries are very important to a lot of people's quality of life. And if they're not done, there are often serious longer term impacts on their health uh, that can be avoided if we can get our, our act together here so that's just another area of this that I've I've sort of been surprised at how little information is coming from the government. And I think that's going to have to change.
2: Okay, well, one last bit of uh, exciting pandemic news. On Tuesday, Ontario announced that elementary and high schools will remain closed for the rest of the school year. It indicated that childcare centres and summer camps may open in the summer as part of the next reopening stages, but overnight camps would be cancelled. It also announced it would be rolling out an expanded voluntary summer learning program, including online credit course offerings for high school students and targeted supports for vulnerable and special needs students. Finally, it launched a call for feedback on how to prepare for reopening in September, including a focus on refresher learning, mental health support, cleaning protocols, use of PPE in schools, adjustments to school buses, and the potential need to shift back to online delivery if there are further outbreaks. So I'm sure parents and educators across the province are wondering, did they make the right call? Um, So, you know, uh, given our experience, are we encouraged by the preliminary plans for September?
3: Alvin, you have kids. What do you think? (laughs)
0: No, (laughs) please God. No, uh, yes. Health is important and all that. And I'm sure they made the right call, but I just, I can't express how sad I, and I know so many other parents out there are just so, so unbelievably disappointed about this. Um, I know, I think for a while we knew that this was probably coming, but it still felt like a gut punch. Um, I love my kids, which is why I need to be away for them from them for at least a little while, otherwise I will kill them. I've been homeschooling them now for 10 weeks and it just sucks so So much online learning is not for everyone, especially my five year old Charlie, who has never used a computer before and has to learn how to manage Zoom meetings with 26 other kids for two hours a week. Like, that's a fucking disaster. Like, what's the point (laughs) of that? Um, And it's like the teachers aren't trying, um, but it's just so goddamn inconsistent. It's terrible. I gotta dig through emails and text messages and trying to find where the hell this damn Zoom link is from. Every couple of hours because it's different because people were bombing them. And uh, and one of my kids has four times the amount of homework than my oldest kid has. And it doesn't make any sense. And it's just it's just so shitty. And it's uh, ugh, I can't imagine it's going to be 26 weeks from March break to the start of school. That's six whole months. You know, coming from somebody who can spend some time to try and teach his kids some things. Like, I don't know what we're going to do with an entire generation, entire cohort of students who are going to miss six months while their parents are trying to manage going to work, buying groceries and not getting infected. Like, it's just, it's crazy. Cancelling summer and overnight camps is just awful as well we were still really really hopeful that we would be able to do that it's something that we've done every single year and we've looked forward to it every year it's the highlight of the summer i can't i can't bear to tell them like my kids are just gonna cry endlessly when we eventually and wouldn't tell them that we're not going to to summer camp and it's not like it's not the right thing to do it's just like what the hell am i supposed to do now i don't know what to do like we're gonna be doing some of this shitty ass school for a couple more weeks and then what my kids are five, seven, and nine years old. Like, I need some things. <laughs> Somebody help yeah. me. I don't know.
2: I, I I will say that some of those problems with Zoom meetings you've outlined, I have with like <laughs> uh, on an almost daily
0: basis. Yeah, and, to, uh, imagine uh, yeah. five year olds trying to mute their mute themselves. Wow,
3: I, I don't know if uh, I don't know if there's much to add to what Alvin said um, from a uh, someone those kids from a more of a policy perspective, I guess. Um, it just, to me, the most interesting thing about this is, is going back to the point about it, sort of the head scratching nature of the reopening, how in Ontario, there's been so much of a push to get people to be able to go out and like, go shopping again. And yet there's no rush, it seems, to reopen everything else around schools and families. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to second guess the public health advice that led them to this decision. I think if this is the best thing to do, this is the best thing to do. It just, it just, there needs to be more of an explanation as to why this is the case. Uh, and as Alwyn said, like, this is, a, this is a, a sleeper in terms of the long-term impact of the, the lack of, um, of education for these kids, of, of high-quality education for these kids. Uh, there was a great piece in The Economist a few weeks back about just the, the evidence we have of the lifelong harm and the inequality that's caused by these kind of like uh, gaps in school attendance, especially in primary schools for the younger kids. And it's, it's actually quite hard to overstate that impact. Uh, the rest of the economy can bounce back in a few years, but these these impacts will will persist for quite some time. Uh, and yet it, from the Ontario government, you'd think that, as I said, they're much more concerned about getting people shopping again. So I, I just don't understand the priorities there. Uh, and if you want to get the economy going again, you want to get parents back to work, you have to have somewhere for their kids to go. Like it, this goes back to the basics of, of childcare, which they discovered belatedly with emergency uh, workers. It turns out that you actually have to find somewhere for their kids to go if you want them to continue to help out in the pandemic. Um, So again, like the the schooling needs to be part of that. And it feels like just a separate issue that is being... Um, sort of slow played to some extent. Uh, As for the specifics of their plans, I mean, they are incredibly vague. uh, And that's been uh, my my frustration with everything put out by the Ministry of Education under this government for a while now. Um, Chris, you did a pretty good job, I think, of summarizing basically everything they said about their summer uh, learning program in like 50 words in your introduction. Like our audience basically now knows half of what they're doing because you wrote, said two sentences about it. There's a couple more sentences to be said, and that's basically all the information we got. Um, so, uh, it, it would just be nice to have, have something more specific available by now. I mean, this has been quite some time and I'm sure the people in the ministry of education are, are, are doing this policy work. I just don't understand the lack of communication from the government.
2: Yeah. I, I will say that, uh, in addition to the fact that, uh, I, can't take credit for though that great summary that was that was Sam writing it down i I like Ron burgundy, just read it out loud <laughs> uh, but yeah no I one of the things that has like is a blessing and a curse about the school year and the way that we have constructed it from its agrarian history is that we have this time in the summer where no teaching activity happens, and I have a lot of sympathy having helped manage the education system in the minister's office like this is a huge public system this is re- it is really hard to turn it on a dime and they needed to turn like, do the best they could on short notice given the speed in which this pandemic uh, impacted our lives and that people generally will give the credit and the benefit of the doubt and you know we exist in a world where everyone is just doing the best they can after the summer Happened, And I think policymakers are thinking about this, but there's a real chance that we will not be bringing people together in September in the same way that they went away from. So, you know, we've lost the school year. If we lose September uh, or October or maybe, you know, potentially most of the fall, but worst case until we have a vaccine, like I- I'm curious and we don't know this, but are there millions of dollars in funding going into really high quality, cutting edge online learning tools for students are there because the kind of sort of the piecemeal approach that has happened like there are good and bad ways to teach people online there's lots of people who've done lots of research on it getting every teacher to you know do their own thing and just put their lessons on a zoom is probably the worst way that I've heard from people who are smart about online learning to do it so we really need a super clear and I would like strategy and online learning the, the reason I bring up the millions of dollars coming to the province is that online learning is expensive. That's the other thing that people who doing it well is really expensive. You need to do that upfront investment in high quality software and tools and interactive activities for students. And I don't know, I haven't heard any specifics about that. I really hope it's happening. It seems kind of like a, a no brainer if we're looking at the potential of this going on past September. If the school experience, university or college sucks in September, people are going to have a lot less sympathy for it than they do now.
1: I guess I'm surprised at everyone's just sort of acceptance that July and August school is off the table. Like to your point and kudos for using the term agrarian on Ontario Loud, but um, <laughs> <laughs> like why couldn't, nobody is fucking doing anything. Nobody is going anywhere. So like why couldn't schools open August 1st if we wanted them to? And we were worried about the amount of learning loss um i like i just think it should be a public conversation if we can get to a place to your point where we can do it safely and um i also think summer camps can obviously especially as this uh weather is turning nice can be done safely like you can do it outside kids can run around like um that should hopefully be in this stage two whenever it comes and should hopefully be You know, soon, because to, I think, to the earlier point, you can't really open the economy without opening a place for the kids to go. And then maybe just my last, maybe just my last word from Chris, your comments about online learning. Stephen Lecce continues to just strike the exact wrong tone when he talks about you know, this pivot that the teachers did and demanding synchronous learning and, you know, fluidity going back and forth, uh, you know, into the fall as if what has fucking happened has been easy, well received, you know, check Mark that he fucking produced. Like this has been a slog for every part of the education system for every parent. Uh, it's not going great, uh, for most people, um, to Alvin's points earlier um and like there will not be fluidity because to to your point chris like to redesign a system of a hundred thousand teachers and two million kids online like is not going to happen it is impossible to do and so like a lot more humility in the fucking tone would be would go a long way those are my thoughts.
2: Yeah, we should devote a whole future pod to the number of institutions uh, in Ontario that have roots in agrarian norms. That is my <laughs> suggestion. Um, not, not to belabor it, and I might actually just cut this part out, but it is so fucking true. Like, why? Especially if part of the school, like, if we can't actually have the number of kids, if we actually can't put 22 kids in a room together, which seems pretty likely like we could do a blended model where like you only come in some of the days of the week and you learn online some of the other days and it goes all year and that's how we balance it out like you know just
1: you know some places are doing half days so that you know the parents can work at least half the day every day like there's there's ways to do it right like like in the fact that those are not being discussed in way more detail to Alexi's point I don't understand
3: BC's got uh, two days a week for primary starting in June, and uh, one day a week for middle school, and then uh, high school staying remote because it's less important that they have uh, face-to-face instruction. Uh, And they've got all these detailed plans. There's like going to be tape zones around every desk and distance between desks, and kids have to like follow lines as they walk through the hallways and stuff. Like it's very, very detailed the stuff that they've managed to put out. And this goes back to the earlier conversation. Like they're, it seems like Ontario is now suddenly asking for input on what we should do to like open our schools again it's like what what have they been doing i mean i'm sure as i said i'm sure that the people who work in the ministry of education are all over this but the lack of information that the political side has been willing to release about it is just uh, frustrating to no end
2: and that's all the time we have for today thank you so much for listening we'll be back next week with a book club episode that i is putting put in together and of course another newsy. One of our episodes was a day late this week, so sorry about that. It was just the, the way the schedule worked out. Uh, but if you haven't heard it yet, go back and listen to our episode on retirement security and what we can do to keep retirement security going during COVID and even enhance it for workers. Uh, it is more important that we focus on it at this time uh, and not less. So check it out. We just released it yesterday. It is available on the same app you're listening to the podcast on right now. Check it out. It's so easy. I want to thank Sam Andre for writing this. Ontario Loud is Sam Andry, Alvin Tejo, Ruma Kapoor Kapoor, Alexi White, and myself, Chris Martin, Aisha Anwar, and Harman Muddy. do some of our research. They do social media. They do communications. They're amazing. If you want to get at us, if you want to talk to us, you can do it. We're accessible. We don't got much to do right now. Get at us at OntarioLoudMail at gmail.com, Ontario Loud on Twitter. See you next week.